Be seated. Welcome. My name is Craig Thompson, and I am the senior pastor here. It is our privilege to have you gathered with us to worship the Lord this first Sunday in March of 2020. Seems hard to say that sometimes, but it is what it is. A few announcements uh, from me before we get into the service, or the sermon rather. We will be in Mark chapter 14 in just a few minutes. Mark chapter 14. Um, I just want to make reference to our barbecue that is coming up this week. Um, it, it, it is brought to my attention by some folks who are newer to our church that maybe they don't fully appreciate uh, why we make such a big deal. It's just a big deal. This is a historically tr- uh, and traditionally a big deal in our church. We, we serve barbecue all weekend. We uh, are, are on Saturday. We use it as a fundraiser to fund um, a lot of things in our church. It helps uh, with, our, with our senior adults, our students, our missions, and with our music ministry. So it helps a lot of things. Uh, it gives us an opportunity to kind of have a footprint out in the community. We will probably have seven or 800 people that come through. Uh, am I exaggerating? It's about right, isn't it? Seven or 800 people that come through on Saturday, and we just get an opportunity to speak to them and love on them a little bit. It's also a great opportunity, if, especially if whether you're new or old in our church, you're just trying to sort of uh, find your way into the, the, the relationships here. Working alongside somebody uh, at, at something like this is a really good opportunity for you to build relationships. So I would just encourage, if you had not already signed up, to sign up. We'll need some help. Um, there's usually some men that uh, get together and, and help get everything loaded up on Thursday and, and sit around and, and uh, watch it cook. It's, it's really a lot of hard work, so your wives will understand why you're not at home because you're, def- you're desperately needed to be there, right, Buster? That's the way it works. So, um, but uh, what'd you say? It's like a fish, a fish fry. We're going to have a fish fry. Oh, there's going to be a fish fry on Thursday? Oh, who knew? All right, cool. Um, so anyway... Uh, that's, y'all, just, just uh, if you hadn't signed up, sign up, show up. We, we'd love to have you. It's, it's a really wonderful time. Uh, it's an exhausting but good time for us to serve alongside one another. The other thing that Adam mentioned, and I appreciate the way you handled that. Adam hadn't told me that I was going to be speaking about the family mission trip. Did y'all see the way that he guilted me into that? Like he stood up here and said, Pastor Craig is going to talk to y'all about the value of the family mission trip. And it was written all over my face. The choir saw me look really confused because I just had to come up with something right there on the spot. Um, our family mission trip, why, why does, what, what is the purpose of our family mission trip? It is super affordable. We make it that way every year. Our goal is for our family mission trip to be an entry point for anybody that, has, that wants to be part of missions. So if you've never done a mission trip before, it's a great place. If you've done 100 of them, it's a great place. Um, uh, Aubrey leaned over to me as you were speaking. You said it's good for 8 to 80. She said Sloan's not 8. Way to go, buddy. You excluded Sloan. Um, so... Uh, uh, listen, all kidding aside, uh, my kids have been on these mission trips before they were two. So uh, just know that there, there's a way uh, to participate. So if you've got just uh, an inkling of interest, come and listen to Adam, hear what he has to say. Really good opportunities to come in Shelby, North Carolina. A lot of good things happening through that. So I would just encourage you uh, to consider how it is that you might be able to participate. It's super affordable, okay? We, it's $50 a person or a maximum cost of 200 bucks for a family. So if you're a family of six, you get two people free. So just look at the way we try to take care of you on that. Uh, if you're a family of eight, you get four people free. So there's really a, a, a benefit to you having more children for this. So we would encourage you to continue to do that. All right. Thank you for being here. We've gotten those things out of the way. This morning, we're going to be in Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 32. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's Word. 
And I'm going to read from verse 32 all the way through verse 42. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray you would teach us this morning through this bitter cup that our Savior drank on our behalf. Father, may we be challenged and changed. Father, may we understand the price that was paid, the accomplishments at Gethsemane. But Father, may we also, Father God, recognize that in this, there is much that we can learn for the way that we should approach prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. What was accomplished at Gethsemane? On June 6, 1944, the Allied forces invaded the beaches of France, launched the largest air, land, and sea operation ever undertaken. On D-Day, more than 150,000 Allied troops invaded France at a cost of more than 4,000 Allied troop deaths and 6,000 Allies wounded. For all intents and purposes, World War II was over on D-Day. The Allied forces had won... But it would be 11 months later before the war would officially end. In the midst of that 11-month time period, American forces would endure the bloodiest battle in American history in the Battle of the Bulge. What Alex Kershaw and some others have called the longest winter as they endured the German counteroffensive that cost 19,000 Allied lives. See, the war was won on D-Day. But the battles were not ended. Folks, in many ways, the war over our sin was won in Gethsemane. The war for our souls was won in Gethsemane. But the battle would rage through the cross and through the empty tomb. And in, in, in many ways, we continue to experience these skirmishes today as we live in the already but not yet of God's kingdom. This morning, we're going to see some of the principles that we can take for our own lives from what Jesus accomplished in Gethsemane. But I, I don't want us to get into that without appreciating that there in Gethsemane, we get a lot more than a how-to guide for how it is that we should pray. Let's not forget that there in Gethsemane, Jesus wrestled with his flesh. 
Jesus wrestled with pain and with temptation and with fear. I appreciate that when the Passion of the Cross was, um, was released, man, that's been nearly 20 years ago now. I've only ever watched it once. I couldn't endure more than, than one, one watching that. But one of the things that I always appreciated in that was the strange, um, uh, the strange way that, 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 that Mel Gibson worked the temptations into those scenes of Jesus' last days. And you see the serpent working his way through Gethsemane. Folks, it's important for us to recognize that spiritual warfare is a reality in all of our lives. And one of the fronts that we face spiritual warfare is the battle with our flesh. In Gethsemane, Jesus faced certainly a battle with the devil. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that, but it'd be pretty hard for us to believe that Satan wasn't present in that place. With his own flesh that he had to overcome and with the world. And then on top of all that, with something that none of us could ever fathom or understand, the weight of of the world's sin weighing upon him. Jesus decided then and there, however, in Gethsemane, that the cross would be his reality and that the salvation of souls would be his destiny. There in Gethsemane, Jesus drew the line in the sand and said, I will die so that they may live. Jesus was yet to die, but in so many ways, the battle, the war, was over. Folks, I want us to see exactly how it is that Jesus engaged in this process this morning. And I want us to see the ways that this can have real-world implication for us today. The first thing we see this morning is that Jesus prayed to His Father. Jesus prayed to His Father. Now that might not seem like such a big deal, but I just want you to consider that Jesus showed his humanity in the needs of his flesh. He couldn't do this on his own. He didn't want to do this on his own. He ran to the Father. Folks, when life gets hard, we have to run to God in prayer. If Jesus needed the Father, how much more do we stand in need? Jesus was weak and he knew that he was weak. I'm going to say that again. Jesus was weak and he knew that. How could Jesus be weak? He was weak in his flesh. He had taken off the robes of divinity. He had stepped down out of the throne room of heaven and put on flesh. And that flesh weakened him and he knew that. That's the reason that Hebrews can tell us that he is not like the others. That he what? He is a high priest who has experienced all the same trials and temptations that we've experienced. And yet he's come through it unscathed. Jesus was weak. Not only was Jesus weak, Jesus was weak and was allowing other people to see that he was weak. Jesus invited Peter, James, and John to come with him. Folks, do you understand? This was a unique experience for the disciples. What was so unique about it? They had never seen Jesus afraid before. They had never seen Jesus so troubled before. You'll remember, they had been with Jesus in some pretty sticky situations. They had been with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. The Lord God Himself, God the Father, had come to them. They had experienced 
the vision of seeing Moses and Elijah with them. They were terrified. Peter keeps talking because Peter likes to talk when he gets scared, so he just keeps running his mouth. Jesus isn't even, isn't even rattled by this. They had been with Jesus in the boat when the storm came up. And they just knew that they were going to die. And Jesus was asleep. You remember that? They wake him up. Don't you care if we die? Jesus, why are you waking me up? You ain't going to die. Y'all, hush, wind, hush, rain, hush. I'm tired. I'm going back to bed. I don't know that that's actually what happened. But it would be so cool for me if I get to heaven and I get a chance to meet with Peter, and I say, what happened on the, on the sea? And, 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 and the, like, the story is, look, really? Like, we didn't write it down exactly as it all went down, but Jesus was, was really tired. He got up and told everybody to shut up, and he went back to bed. That would be so cool for me. It would be so cool. doesn't really matter. It would be so fun. They had seen Jesus come to them on the water. There they are, buffeted by the wind and the waves, and they're terrified of the ghost. And instead, they discover it's not a ghost at all. It's the Lord himself. And Peter says, I want to do that too. And Jesus says, well, come on. And Peter jumps out of the boat. And the Bible says that Peter took his eyes off Jesus and looked at the waves around him. And Jesus began to, or Peter began to sink immediately and crying out, Lord, Lord, save me. And the Bible says, of course, the Lord did. Don't miss this. He stands ready and willing to save all who will call upon his name. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Peter was in a mess of his own making, and yet when he cried out to the Lord, Jesus was there to save him. Don't miss that. Nevertheless, Jesus takes them with him. Jesus is not only weak, he's allowing others to see that he is in need of relationship, reunion, and communication with his Father. He brings the disciples in. He's not like the leaders of the Pharisees. He's not like the leaders of the Roman government around him. Jesus brings his disciples in and allows them, not only has he just served them that day and washed their feet, he allows them to see him weeping. The Bible says that he went in and he fell down. Have you ever been in such a bad place that your knees just gave out? Weakness overwhelmed you and you found yourself face down before the Lord. The Bible says that Jesus went on a little way and falling to his knees, he prayed. My soul is very sorrowful, he said to them, but he prayed, Abba, Father. What is, what is this Abba, Father? Where do we get that? In, in biblical languages, when we get the, the double use of a word, it just wants us to understand the, the depth of of, of the emotion in there. So when Jesus, for instance, says, truly, truly, I say to you, what Jesus is saying is really, truly, very truly, absolutely, truly, without a shadow of a doubt, this is really real. Abba, Father. He says, Father, Father, Daddy. I don't know if you've ever seen your children in pain, but, but, but when my kids hurt, sometimes the words that just come out is, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. Mommy, mommy, mommy. That, that's, that's what comes out right there. As the Lord Jesus is in pain, he cries out in weakness and he says, Lord, I need you. When life is hard, do you run to Jesus? Why don't we pray? Sometimes we don't pray because we don't want to be seen as weak. We don't want to admit our weakness and our desperate need like what I read from Pastor Brian Croft, he writes that we can sometimes get so busy doing the stuff of life and ministry that we never make time to stop and pray. 
And we can convince ourselves that the reason we haven't made time to stop and pray is because there was more important stuff to do. But he says this isn't right. It reveals a lack of faith and a problem with misplaced priorities. Jesus had just a few hours left on earth. Imagine what he could have told his disciples in the few hours that he had left. And instead of spending time teaching, ministering, healing the sick, raising the dead, the Bible says that Jesus found himself on his face before his Father, crying out in weakness and in pain. Jesus prayed to his Father because he knew that he needed prayer. Jesus prayed because he was not overwhelmed with his pride. He was not consumed, but he knew that he was in desperate need of prayer. Do you turn to prayer? Do you you ask others to pray for you and to pray with you? I mean like really ask them to pray. When's the last time that you asked somebody to really pray for you? Not, not necessarily like you're rolling around in your, your life group and tell me about who you want, what, what your prayer requests are. Well, you know, I got this hangnail. I need, would you get that taken care of? Well, we got this. We got, when's the last time that you, you honestly just looked at them and said, I need your prayers. Without your prayers, I don't know if I can go on. Without your prayers, I don't know if I'll make it. When's the last time you invited somebody to come in and see you praying in pain and in struggle? To come alongside you. Folks, we've got to get over ourselves and recognize that we need, we need our Heavenly Father. We need Him. Jesus prayed to His Father. The second thing we see this morning is Jesus was honest with His Father. Are you honest in your prayers? I mean really honest in your prayers. Do you pray to God in the same voice you talk to other people? Or do you pray to God in a voice you think God wants you to hear or wants to hear from you? Now listen, I'm not picking on anybody, okay? So let's just clear up. There are some folks that I know who approach the Lord in a King James English and they don't do it out of any sense other than a desire. Please listen. Out of any sense other than a desire to approach the Lord in a more formal way so as to show respect and honor. That's not what I'm talking about right here, okay? That's not. That is, that is, there's nothing wrong with that. Please hear me say, there's something beautiful about recognizing that when we step into the throne room of God, we're stepping into the very throne room of God in prayer. But I would ask you, do you regularly find yourself praying to the Lord with honesty? Or do you pray to the Lord in the way you think the Lord might want to hear you? I love being a parent. And I love being a parent because children can come up with some of the most creative answers to our questions. We will ask a question, and it's a simple question. Let's come up with a question. Did you clean your room? That sounds like a pretty simple question. It requires a yes or a no. I did or I didn't. Right? But our children can come up with what they want to do is make sure that they communicate with us in a way that we appreciate what they're they're trying to say. And so they don't just say yes or no. They'll say something like, Dear Father, Dear Father, you ask of things such as cleaning of rooms. But Dad, have you considered the lilies of the field? How they neither toil or spin, and yet they have no reason to worry because the Lord clothes them, dear Father. Why should we worry ourselves with the cleaning of rooms when the Lord God will take care of everything? 
Now, y'all think I'm lying, but I'm going to tell you, one of my four kids will come up with something ridiculous like that. He might be sitting in here. <laughs> and lest we pick only on our children, husbands, aren't we good at this? Aren't we great at this? Honey, will you load the dishwasher? Sweetheart, why would we load the dishwasher? We have children that can load the dishwasher. Why would you ask me such things? Is the dog licking the plate? Sweetheart, of course the dog is licking the plate. I'm saving water. We don't have to pre-rinse the thing if I let the dog lick the plate. Just think about that next time you eat at my house. Y'all think I'm kidding. He's a cute dog, too. He's great. You know, science says his mouth's cleaner than yours, so just keep that in mind. But we do that, don't we? And wives, I know y'all thought y'all can get out of this. I love this one. Honey, honey, th- like, did, did you, did, th- there's no air in the tire. Well, it, it said that, but you know what? I didn't think that really meant anything. I didn't think that was a big deal. Not my wife. She's wonderful. I never had an issue with that, but some of y'all have heard the stories. We, we have a way of, beat, of, of beating around the bush, don't we? Working our way around the truth. And folks, it's so true when we approach the Lord in prayer. Some of you pray the most holy prayers that never, ever touch your heart. Jesus was honest. He gets to, Lord, your will be done. But before he gets to, Lord, your will be done, he says, Lord God, let this cup pass from me. God, I don't want to do this. The book of Luke tells us that in his prayers that his sweat became like great drops of blood. Perhaps you've heard that there is a scientific term for that. And I looked it up today, or earlier, and I I listened to the pronunciation today. And I'll still murder the pronunciation of this word. But there's a scientific term, hematidrosis. In this condition, the capillaries under the skin burst and cause small amounts of blood to be mixed with sweat. It can happen in extreme fear. Now, many of you have heard that. But as it consider, have you considered not only the weight of Jesus' burden that he's carrying, have you considered the fact that the Lord was willing to be honest with his Father? Jesus was scared and he was under incredible stress. The literal weight of the world was upon his shoulders. I'll never forget one of the first uh, 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 sort of light bulb awareness moments for me as a pastor became just a few months after I came here. I'd been here for a few months, and I'll never forget this. I called my pastor, my former pastor, and and, and I was just weighed down with burden, the spiritual burden of pastoring. And I called him, and, and, and he said, how are you? I said, we're okay, I'm fine. But listen, you told me I was ready for this. This is more than I can bear. I, I, I don't know how to explain this, but I feel the weight and the burden of the people of this church in a way that, that you didn't prepare me for. He said, I'm not sure how I could prepare you for that. And what I told you was that you were as ready as you were ever going to be. Now, I I can't explain that other than to say that there's an experiential aspect of that. 
await. And when Jesus bowed before his Father under the weight, he was literally carrying the sin of the world upon his shoulders. It's an indictment upon all of us that we tend only to see the physical pain that awaited our Savior without seeing in our Lord's agony the exceeding sinfulness of sin. The careless way we speak of sin such as drunkenness, lying, sexual immorality, and pride are painful evidence of the low condition of our moral sensitivity to sin. But Jesus understood full well the weight of that sin as he carried it slowly toward Gethsemane's cross. We see Jesus being very honest with his Father. We don't see him putting on airs in his prayer. These are not carefully crafted prayers. These prayers are not poetic. You wouldn't find this prayer in a a devotion book. These are gut level heart-wrenching prayers god all things are possible remove it yet not what i will but you will jesus said to the disciples my soul is very sorrowful even to death did i mention that this was a savior that they had not seen afraid before and here in this moment he says i am scared to death i'm sorrowful to death D.L. Moody said this one time. He said, only when we get serious with God can we expect an answer. Jesus got real in his prayers. I've seen some of you get real. I've not seen you sweat drops of blood, but I've seen those prayers that get raw and ugly. The prayers punctuated by sobs and tears. The prayers with wet faces and dirty noses. I've been with you in fear and in trembling I've bowed with you under the weight of concern. And I've seen some of you get so honest with the Lord that it was scary. You see, we tend to find a way to get honest with the Lord when life gets hard, but why must we wait? Why can't we be honest with the Lord today? Why not go to Him and cast all of our worries upon the Lord? He cares for us. Why must we always pray to the Lord in our special prayer language instead of going to the Lord in the honesty of our heart and our soul? When's the last time that you prayed to Jesus and you said, God, I don't like this. God, I don't want this. When's the last time you had enough trust, faith, and confidence in the Lord that you went to Him in prayer and you told Him exactly what it was that you wanted? You say, Craig, that sounds like prosperity preaching. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord. He will grant you the desires of your heart. Folks, we're just lying. He knows our heart. We're lying to the Lord when we go to him in prayer and we say something that we know is not 100% true. But we're afraid. We don't have enough faith. And so we'll pray something like, well, well God, I, I, you know, I, I really, God, if, if it's in your will for this job to work out, I mean, God, if, if you think it'll work out, if it's okay with you, God, I, 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 that'd be good. I'd like that. When's the last time you went to the Lord and you said, Lord, God, I, I really believe that this is a good, a good move. It's a good, God, it's what I, I believe that I want, God. Lord, do you hear me? When's the last time that you had a, a family member or a loved one lost, separated from the Lord by their sin? The Bible says our sin separates us from God. 
When you had someone that you loved that you knew was going to die and go to hell, when's the last time that you banged on the door of heaven and you got off your whatever weird theological high horse and you stopped saying something like, God, I hope that you'll do something nice in their life and maybe if it's in your will that you do something and bring them to you. When's the last time you prayed and you beat on the door of heaven and you said, God, save them? When's the last time that you said, Lord God, I don't care what you've got to do, but save them. You think he doesn't hear your heart? You think he's not a big enough God to care for you in those moments? Those of you that are parents, don't you know that you want your children to be honest with you? Even when the honesty hurts, you want to hear it all? Who are we to believe that God doesn't want to hear it all from us? The Bible says that Jesus fell on his face before the Lord. and He said, God, I don't want to do this. And who can blame him? Jesus prayed to his father. But Jesus was honest with his father. Folks, can I urge you to be honest with the Lord in your prayers? Be honest. Gut level Alligator tear, honest with the Lord. Tell him. Tell him the truth. If you're angry at the Lord, I would urge you to tell him that too. Because if you'll confess it to him, you know what he's able to do? He's able to weave in that process and to change your heart. I meet very few atheists in the world. I, I, honest and truly, I do. I meet very few atheists. I meet a bunch of people that claim to be atheists. But as I talk with them, I discover pretty quickly that most of them are not atheists in a, in a Richard Dawkins kind of sense of the word. Most of them are people who have been hurt. Most of them are not actually atheists. They're angry. They're angry at a God that they claim doesn't exist because this happened in their life. Sigmund Freud died angry. He was perhaps the most well-known atheist in his day. And yet Sigmund Freud lived his entire life arguing against God and angry at a God that he claimed never existed. What might the Lord do with your anger if you were honest with him about it? Brian and I were in London. Was that 10 years ago now, Brian, or close to it? I'll never forget a conversation I had with a guy. He, he, he just said, I, I don't believe that a God exists. And um, uh, we, we were in downtown London. It's night. I said, well, 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 why don't you believe that God exists? We, we began to wrestle through. Um, uh, I was weighing over my head as we started talking about string theory and physics and all that other stuff. And look, all of you are too. If you think you got it figured out, just as long as you don't have an argument with a physicist, you'll be all right, Okay. But if it's a physicist, what you need to do is just start praying, okay? That's what you need to do because you're going to lose, all right? But he, he began to have all these, these, these arguments, and, 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 and I finally I just looked at him. I said, brother, none of your arguments really hold water. What are you so mad at? And he began to weep. 25-year-old kid, he began to weep. He said, if God exists, then why, his quote, why did my auntie die? I said, brother, what I hear is that you're not, you don't doubt the existence of God. You're angry at the Lord. He said, why? Why did she die? Maybe you're here today and you're angry with the Lord and you've been hanging on to it for a long time. 
Have you gone to him with that? Have you laid it down before him? Have you prayed and said, Lord God, I'm not sure that I don't just hate your guts. Say, Craig, is it sinful to be angry with the Lord? Of course there's sin that can be wrapped up in that, but we confess our sin to him. Do you get that? The idea that you wouldn't go to him with it is ridiculous. He's big enough to hear it. Be honest with the Lord. Jesus was angry and didn't sin, but at the same time in this place, Jesus says, please take this from me. Look what else he says. He acknowledges this word. All things are possible for you. Jesus seems to suggest that there might have been a different way to go about doing this. We don't know for sure. But he says to the Lord God, you could stop this right now. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Be honest with the Lord. Are you honest? Non-believer, are you honest? Christian, are you honest? Oh, it's real easy for Christians to get on their high horse about this and go, oh, you fake atheists need to get honest with Jesus. Here's what the reality of the truth is. 98% of the Christians in this room need to be honest with the Lord. You need, you need to get past, you need to get past the surface level and to be honest with the Lord. Life is hard sometimes. Be honest with Him. Lay it all out there. Confess it before Him. Watch what He might do. Pray to the Lord. Be honest with the Father. And then finally, Jesus submitted to the Father. Yet not as I will, but what you will. Jesus was honest. Can can I be honest with you? I, I don't think He liked it. Do you think there was anything in Jesus' flesh that said, I look forward to continuing this pain and torture? He didn't like it, but he did it anyway. There comes a point in time where we submit regardless of the cost. Now hear me. book of James says, The fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's the King James Version. I never could learn the other versions of that once I got it in the KJV. I don't even know what the others say. It says the same thing in a different word. But the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Prayer changes things. Okay? There are some who would suggest that the real purpose of prayer is that prayer changes us and enables us to accept what the Lord has. Let me say off the bat that prayer changes things. Let's not miss that. That's the reason that we pray. Because we believe that God answers prayers. Jesus says, with faith, the grain of a mustard seed. That size, Jesus said, you could say to this mountain, get up and move, and it would move. Prayer changes things. God heals people through prayer. God saves people through prayer. God changes things through prayer. But what happens when the Lord doesn't change the things that we want changed in the way that we want them to be changed? There comes a point in time, sometimes God says no. In that place, we pray that our prayers would change us. 
Yet not what I will, but what you will. I, I am so grateful to the Lord Jesus for giving me permission to pray, Lord God, all things are possible for you remove this cup from me. I'm so grateful that the Lord gave me the permission to pray that without prefacing it. God, I'm coming to you and whatever you want to be done, be done. But God, this is what I really want. Jesus was confident and assertive. He said to the Lord, please take this away from me. He followed it up with, God, if you don't, I will do what you want me to do. But listen here, there's nothing in this prayer that suggests that this is one of those weak bedside prayers in the hospital. God, we know that everything's good and whatever you want to do. And Lord, if you would, we wish that you would think maybe perhaps considering about taking this cancer away from our mama. I don't imagine that we ever hear Jesus praying tentatively that way. Jesus went to the Lord and said, Lord God, please take this away. But God, if you don't, I will submit to your will. Folks, can I urge you to be, be honest in your prayers? To not be tentative in your prayers, but also to be willing at the end of all things to submit. Why? There comes a point in time where we submit regardless of the cost. Why do we do that? We, we claim Romans 8, 28 and we move forward. We act in confidence that all things work together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So there comes a point in our prayer life where we have to recognize that things may not turn out the way we want them to and instead we submit to God's will. We give up and we give in. God, not my will, but yours be done. This doesn't preclude us from praying honestly, but we pray honestly and humbly. Why do we pray in humility? The humility comes in this. For us to recognize that sometimes what I want is not God's will. Now, before we get to the hard things, let's talk about some of the easy things. This is going to be a show of hands, so get yourself ready. How many of you can look back in your life and be thankful for prayers that God didn't answer? Some of you really up high. All right. How many of you can look back and be thankful that God didn't answer your prayer for somebody that you wanted to marry? Right? Oh, there's more of you than that. You just didn't want your husband to see. Face it, guys. <laughs> you were God's will, not hers. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> okay. See, we, we, we tend to run to the answer, the, the prayers that God didn't answer and that I didn't like His answer. But before we get to that place, can we, just, can we just live with the realization that there have been many prayers in our life when I said, God, this is what I want. God, this is what I'm confident will be best. God, let's move forward. And hi, hindsight's 2020, isn't it? You look back in the rearview mirror and you go, thank God that that didn't happen. Thank God. You look back and you say, God, you knew. You knew what I didn't know. I didn't know that was coming, God. Oh, thank you. What about the other things? What do I say to that 25-year-old man on the streets of London who said, if God is so good, why did my auntie die? Do you know that at the end of all things, I still don't have the perfect answer for all that? I can give you lots of great theological answers. And they give me comfort. They really do. See, I can trust 
that in the midst of that, 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 that God knew what was best. But, but, but I also know this. I know that death was never God's intention, never God's desire. I know that death is an invader in this world. I know that death comes about as a result of sin. So I, I can say all of that. But sometimes it's still hard to hear. And yet Jesus carries the entire weight of the world on his shoulders and bows down in Gethsemane and says, God, I don't want to do this. But Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Prayer changes things, but one of the most important things that prayer changes is us. Don't miss the possibility of God changing you through your prayers. There's, this, there's an incredible humility for us going to the Lord and saying, Lord God, not my will, but your will. But see, here's what Jesus didn't have to say, but we have to say. We have to say, because we're not Jesus. We have to say, and Lord God, give me, give me joy in accepting your will. You see that? You see, in, 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 my, in my original notes, and I, I may have actually accidentally said this this morning, I said Jesus didn't like it, but he did it anyway. I, I don't think that's actually true. In the flesh, Jesus didn't like it, you understand. But Jesus never sinned. Once the Lord, once the Father spoke, and his will was made clear, Jesus moved forward with a confidence that Romans 8, 28 confidence that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. But see, for us, we have to pray, Lord God, will you give me the ability to accept your will when it is not what I wanted? God, will you change me if you don't change my circumstances? And folks, that can often be harder to accept than the change of circumstance. Because when the Lord doesn't change the circumstance to fit my desires, I have zero desire to let go of my hurt, my anger, my pain, my frustration that I didn't get what I wanted. You see, it's hard to go to the Lord and to say, Lord God, Will you give me the faith to accept the position in life that you've given to me? Lord God, will you help me to have joy in these hard things? Are you willing to trust the Lord? Will you go to Him in prayer? I'm going to finish up right here. Trusting God in the midst of hard things is not to candy coat over the hard things in life. That, that, that's, that's one of the places where we really mess up. Christian science is wrong because Christian science says that pain and, and struggle are all just an illusion. It's not real. Christian science is wrong in a lot of other ways too, but that's one of the, the greatest ways. The prosperity gospel is wrong because the prosperity gospel says you suffer because you don't have enough faith. The Bible says sometimes there's suffering in life and then it doesn't give us... A, 
an answer. Right? It does. We, we don't always get to know why. But the Bible doesn't candy coat over these things. And we shouldn't candy coat over these things. To suggest that you should accept the Lord's plan for your life in your particular situation is not to suggest that your life is easy or perfect. Some of you have encountered and experienced things that I just can't imagine. And yet, God is still enough in that moment. God is still enough. And you can know that because in Gethsemane, Jesus took your pain, your shame, your sorrow, and your sin. And He bore it upon His back. And he waited for his betrayer to come. And Jesus carried our pain and sin and shame and sorrow and hurt down the hill from Gethsemane into the brutalization from the authorities and then up Calvary's hill with a cross on his back. And there upon that cross, our Savior bled and died. For your sin and my sin, for your shame and my shame, for your pain and my pain. See, the war was won in Gethsemane, but the battle raged through Calvary's cross. And the victory was proclaimed in an empty grave. So here's my question this morning. Are you willing to trust the Lord? Are you willing to trust Him when it hurts? Are you willing to trust Him when it just doesn't seem to make sense? Are you willing to trust Him? If He says go, are you willing to pack up and go? If He says stay, are you willing to stay? If He says come, are you willing to come? He says, wait, are you willing to wait? Are you willing to trust the Lord? Will you go to Him in prayer? Honestly. Trusting in the Lord. This morning, that's the invitation. Will you trust Him? Some of you need to trust Him in salvation today. Some of you, it's hard because life's been hard on you and it's difficult to trust the Lord because just like that 20-something-year-old friend I made all those years ago, you can remember the pain that you've endured and you don't understand. For some of you as believers right now, it's difficult to trust Him with this particular thing or that particular thing because it's hard. Whatever it is, my challenge to you this morning, will you trust Him? Will you come trust the Lord? Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, I pray that you give us hope in these hard places. Father, that we would look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, and be confident in His desire for God to do good for us and to do good in the world, even when that goodness is not evident to our eyes. Would you give us faith to trust that His way is right, even when it seems to make no sense? In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us as we sing.